This is the Thoughtful Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Kendall of the notaballerina.com travel blog. Every episode, I'll share travel tales from several fellow travel lovers, and together we hope to entertain and inspire you, remind you of some of your own great travel experiences, and encourage you to hit the road again soon. Hello and welcome to episode 312 of the Thoughtful Travel Podcast. It is about giving back when we travel. First, I'd like to pay my respects to the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation where I am recording this podcast today. So giving back when we travel or traveling for good is something that I think a lot of uh, listeners to this podcast in particular are probably keen on doing and probably have already done in lots of different ways. I actually went looking to see what the data says. Now, one of my favorite places to look at uh, trends over time um, is to go to Google Trends. So if you haven't uh, haven't had a play around in Google Trends before, you should spend some time there. It's uh, I find it really fun. But what it does is it gives you information on the trends of people's Google searches over time. So um, you know, you can see are more people searching for a particular search term uh, in particular countries or at particular times of year. But anyway, in this case, it um, very heartwarmingly, I, I think, told me that people have been searching for topics like travel for good at a significantly increasing rate in the past few years, especially since the pandemic, but it was already on the rise before that. So that is good news, I think. I will uh, add a quick screenshot in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, I also did a bit more reading because there's some really good stuff being written on this, and uh, I will leave some links in the show notes for this, but I read um, Joanna Haugen's article on the perils of giving back. Uh, Joanna's been a, a guest a few times on the Thoughtful Travel podcast, and she is really good at uh, really clearly defining the key issues and, uh, you know, explains that, of course, you know, the concept of giving back is, you know, of course, it's a it's a good thing to want to do. But as with most kinds of thoughtful travel, there are there are bad and good and better ways to do it. And there are some ways where you might be actually doing harm rather than good. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend reading that. And um, her article also includes a, a kind of a, an example case study of her own experience um, in Lake Tahoe last year. And funnily enough, as I was Googling travel for good, uh, one of the top results was an article I knew well, actually, from my dear friend Carolyn Beasley. And she wrote on this topic for the Australian Geographic magazine recently. It includes lots of good stats. Also, backing up my assertion from above, <laughs> from earlier, that uh, more and more travellers genuinely want to do good and her article has a good overview of the the kinds of travel that fit into giving back when we travel. So also in the show notes. Now my first guest today is Roger Smith from Echidna Walkabout and Roger talks about the importance of giving back from the perspective of a tour operator and how he deals with it and he has as usual from Roger some wise words and also a short example. Um, Giving back should be part of every tour in one way or another and also talking about it as well and I want to mention both those things I'll start with talking about it you need to tell your guests that you are giving back in other words they need to know that part of what they're doing on the trip is actually you know giving back like for instance we buy our food locally we do that because it's good for you to know that so to speak you know you don't you know you don't have to overdo it and we are using cutlery uh, plates and what have you that are not 
going to be uh, that can be recycled. In other words, we rewash them and reuse them. We're not going to be we're not using plastic water bottles because you're going to be we're going to be wasting them and throwing them away. But you've brought your containers because you were asked to do that. In other words, I, you, we tell our guests things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. to do with citizen science, to do with conservation travel. They know that they are participating in giving back. It is, I've got to say this, Amanda, it is one of the most used expressions in tourism today. When people think of, if you ask a person what do they want in a tour or what do they want to feel like they've done in a tour, they, they say, I want to give back. And there's so many other ways that they could say that, but for some reason, that's the simplest way of saying it. I want to mm. give back. I don't want to be a traveller who moves through the environment and moves through towns, locations, environments without somehow or other giving back. I help people to understand just by paying for the tour, they have helped give back. But we've done we've done it in an ethical way. We've you know we've we've worked to do it you know in an ethical way. I'll give you an example um, that I was once involved in in Africa because. The people that I travel with over there, that Janine and I travel with over there, we ask that they do something to help us give back. And um, I'll never forget one time we were going to a little village uh, on part of one of our wildlife safaris and the guide went and bought four containers of salt. You know, the, the, I don't know, five, six hundred grams of salt. And I thought, wow. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, we're going to give this back to these people. And I said, salt, you know. Well, one of the great deficiencies in this particular area is salt. And salt is like gold. And as it always has been throughout human history mm. um, because it's used for pre- preserving things and all that sort of stuff. And he said, rather than us giving them money or whatever, we gave them salt. Another place we went to, we just bought a couple of bags of rice. And they don't sound like big things, but they were enormously important to those people. So that's that's a literal form of giving back as opposed to, you know, a different way of giving back. But what I like about those literal forms of giving back is you 100% know that something useful is getting to exactly the right people. You know, there's no extra, you know, extra people in the whole mix. It's not money that goes somewhere, that goes somewhere, that goes somewhere, which is also valuable in many ways. But those kind of examples are you physically see something physically going to some people who need that. That's, you know, That's a really useful form of giving back. Yeah, I agree with you. I did chat further with Roger about this topic and the way his tours give back to local communities in their choice of accommodation. And that chat is in episode 301 on community-based tourism. So have a listen to that if you haven't already. Now, my next guests today are Mar Pages and Meg Jarrett from the Solo Female Travellers Club. They have this, well, it's a fabulous tale of giving back. So they run tours for women travellers, um, focusing on, on solo travellers who might want to join a group trip. And one of their tours is to Tanzania, and it includes a climb of Kilimanjaro. And they have thus been working with an incredible woman uh, named Glory, who's founded the Tanzanian Women Guides Foundation. And so part of um, Mara and Meg's tours involves um, both working with Glory and a proportion giving back to this foundation. So hearing about uh, all of this is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real good news story. 
requirements. We didn't just want to launch a tour and just make money and just have a business. You know, we wanted it to be meaningful in some other way that would make a difference in the travel industry. And in Tanzania, which was the first tour that we launched, well, the second after Iceland, that's in 2021, we already launched Iceland and Tanzania. Like we already went there. And in there, we've been going for like, you know, it's going to be the third year now. So we've been making a difference. And in there, the gap is huge, right? Like just to give you some numbers, there are around 10,000 porters on on Kilimanjaro, right? And there were like fewer than 20 female porters, you know, out of the 10,000. So that, that's how bad it was, right? So, you know, there were two guides, female guides on Kilimanjaro out of the 6,000 when Glory, our lead guide, started, right? Two, her and her friend. This is 10 years ago. It's not so long ago, right? And since we started mm-hmm. to support her, and obviously this is all her work, right? We just support her financially. We support her, like Meg did her website so that, you know, she has the Tanzanian Women Guides mm-hmm. Foundation website. Meg made it. She also, Meg also made her personal website so that she can start to do also Safari and Kilimanjaro herself directly with customers rather than having to work through an operator who are very exploitative of the situation of guides and porters particularly women so with with her we've been working to provide the financing for more women to become guides and porters so what she does in the low season like march april may what she does is she goes in the villages and she talks to the elders and the husbands and the brothers and whatever is like the person that you know rules over the life of women makers and convince them to let them become porters so first she brings them as porters in Kilimanjaro then the ones that she sees have because you don't need any qualification to be a porter right you just need to be strong and women in Tanzania carry their babies and their wood and the water and everything right so they're used to carrying 15 kilos they were telling me like oh this is no work for women and she's like we carry the baby and the water and everything like we're strong we can do this you know so she first convinces them to be porters and then the ones that she sees speak English and have the interest and the skills to become guides, some from porters to guides. She then finds the financing from us, from our Kili Climb, where we donate apart from every guest, or from a donor that she has in the US that has been helping her for many years. She then brings them for a month to her home, and now she has a a house thanks to the financing she's been getting. She has like a dorm where she brings these women because they live in the countryside, right? They cannot... Suddenly you go to to the... city and you spend four months, you need lodging, you need food. But she needs to make sure that they're not going to waste the $400 that it costs to make the certification. So she first brings them for a month to teach them before they go on to the official one from the government so she can be sure they will pass because she doesn't want the money to go to waste, right? So then the ones that pass the, her training, her one-month training, then go on to the certification from the government, four months. Then they're certified guides on Kilimanjaro. Now, to take them from Kilimanjaro to being a safari guide, they need to get a driving license. These are women that many of them don't even know how to ride a bike, right? let alone drive a car. So first they need to get a normal driving license and then they need to get a truck driving license. And then we need to get them job opportunities. You know, like the cycle is very long, right? You first, mm. then nobody wants to mm. hire them, right? Because they have no experience and they're a woman. So they don't want to hire them. They, they feel like you're not prepared. You're a woman. How, what happens if the car breaks down? You know, you're not good at this. So, you know, there's like fewer than six safari female guides in Tanzania, right? So now we've been training them. So we keep them as trainees. So now in November, we will have the first safari where all the guides are women. We have three guides, all three of them. So it's going to be 15 guests, all women, plus me, and then the three safari guides, all women as well. So then we provide them employment opportunities. The same on Kilimanjaro. We bring trainees with us so that they can have the job. And that was like the big thing for us too, though. Like you can't just, like that's the problem with a lot of like charity in inverted commons work is that people throw money at someone and then just leave it but you can't train someone 
with qualifications and then what do they do? Like, They're not going to be employed without, a, without you know, experience. Correct. So we needed the full cycle. And then as Ma said, like when, like we're kind of creating, we wanted to create the awareness and we wanted to create, once people actually see these women on the mountain, other guests are now starting to say to their actual tour companies, like Intrepid, why don't we have female guides? Wow. And those companies are now taking notice. Like they are now actually taking notice because I think Intrepid this past year has launched an all-female climb of Kilimanjaro. <laughs> Ours is all-female guides and 60% female porters, you know, because there aren't enough porters to make it 100%, although we do hope right. that by 2025 it will be 100%. But, you know, they, they approach Glory and they're like, oh, we want to hire female guides. So one of the ones she hired and she trained, Glory herself trained and found and everything is now working full-time for Intrepid. So in the end, we don't have enough, we're not big enough to provide employment opportunities to these women all year round, right? So we want them sure. to have an employment yeah. opportunity, to have the skill set to, you know, to be financially independent and to not rely on their husbands and not everything else, right? So for us, that's that's success, even if they it's don't It's still work a success, us. yeah. But, you know, for women in Tanzania, it's very good to work in tourism, especially Kilimanjaro, because yes, you're away for seven days on the mountain or eight days, but then you can be home for three weeks of the rest of the three weeks of the month and make more money than mm -hmm. you were making working full time, right? So it's it's great for them, right? They make a lot of money and they can choose to work less if they want to and still spend more time with their families and their children. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's it's... It's not just financial independence, it's also the flexibility that comes with it. When you are on Glory's website too, though, she sent me the bios of all these guides and like, I was literally putting this Meet Our Guides page together, like, trying to hold back tears because like some of these like women submitted yeah. their bios and they're like, I'm a single mother and I was like kicked out of home like for this and this is really giving me the opportunity to be like financially independent and, and I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, I really like, I have a hard shell now, but like, I really like believe in this and feel for these women and it's just like mm. to he actually hear that this is actually changing people's lives in a real way like and in a sustainable way not just throwing money at a charity and saying yeah. here you go here's 500 bucks exactly yeah having an ongoing long-term impact i love this project and i'm going to leave a link in the show notes to glory's tanzanian women guides foundation website as well because uh, you can read about some of the women she's helped there it's pretty cool stuff now, my final guest today is Peter Baines from Hands Across the Water. He uh, has uh, been for many years now um, the force behind some riding tours of Thailand that are a really fabulous example of giving back. It's an eight-day ride over 800 kilometres. We ride for four days, have a rest day, then ride for another four days. And we've got a couple of different routes. Uh, they're all in Thailand and... Um, uh, we might start up in the far northeast in uh, flying to Udon Thani and then start riding from uh, Nong Kai and ride down the banks of the Mekong River for eight days, wow. uh, which separates um, uh, Thailand and Laos. And, and it's seriously, it's a stunning ride, but, and particularly if you're over there in the wet season, like all the rice paddies are, mm. you know, are this incredible green that, you know, you, you look like it's, uh, you take a photo, it looks like you've, you know, enhanced it with a filter. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's the real. hashtag is no filter required. Yeah, yeah like yeah. it's just stunning. And, and the other thing that's so beautiful about what we call the Northern Ride is uh, that you're riding through communities like tiny little villages, and people won't see another 
uh, 20 bike riders until we go back. Yeah. You know, like it's a type of communities where foreigners just don't go. And, you know, it's a funny thing, uh, you know, I fly over there and you'll be talking to, you know, one of the, the um, air crew and uh, uh, and occasionally there'll be a Thai national as the air crew and, and they'll go, oh, where are you going? And talk to them and go, oh, I'm going up into the Isan region and riding from Nong Kai down to uh, through Ubon, Ratchatani, Muktahan and, uh, and and they and I go, don't you love that place? And, and they go, I've never been, <laughs> I've never been. But it's it's so beautiful. So that's our northern ride. Mm-hmm. Then our our traditional and our first ride uh, starts in Hua Hin, which is um, about two hours drive south of Bangkok. And uh, we ride we ride south, and uh, we follow the the coast uh, coastline of the Gulf of Thailand for uh, about five days, and then we. Uh, head, uh, we head west and cross over through uh, Chompon and pop out at Surat Thani, and then we ride down the Andaman Seaside, and that's mm-hmm. a eight day ride as well. And and uh, then during the year we run these uh, uh, closed or private rides, corporate rides, whatever you want to call them. And and uh, normally it's a it's a group that will come from either a company, an industry body or a collective uh, group of uh, people who know each other who want to ride on their own or, or, or put their ride together f- and we put the ride together for them. Mm-hmm. And most of those rides are five days uh, with a rest day because that, that gives them the chance to only take a, uh, a week uh, off. One- I love the fact that you're riding through small communities and um, getting to know some or meeting some local people along the way. And uh, um, and all of these rides are also, they're, they're doing good, right? So tell us a bit more about that side of it yeah so it's um you know the charity that i uh that i started uh was a direct result of the boxing day tsunami mm-hmm. and i was working in thailand as a forensic investigator and leading the australian team in the identification of the five and a half thousand bodies and uh and at the end of the tour uh, or at the end of my final tour i met a group of kids who had all lost their their family and uh um, they were living in a tent, so I decided to start a charity to raise some money to build these kids a home. And that was back in 2015, and and here we are today, 18 years on. And the bike rides, uh, each of them has a minimum fundraising attached to uh, the goal for each individual rider. And it's a really important part of it. Mm. It's One, it's, it's fundraising for us. But what it also does is it forces uh, the riders to engage in the experience well before they pack their suitcase. Because if you travel a lot, whether it's for work or whatever, sometimes, like I'm heading to Langkawi for work on the weekend and, like, I'll I'll engage with the trip on uh, Saturday morning when I when I decide what I need to pack for the trip, right? Yeah. But with our bike rides, because you've got to do this fundraising, you, you've got to engage six months, nine months out. So when by the time they get to Thailand, the ride is the reward mm. for the fundraising work, mm-hmm. and it's um, you know imperative for the the work that we do. Uh, at the end of the ride, we finish at one of our homes, so each of the riders gets to see the project, see where their money's gone. Uh, connect with the community there's that visibility there's that transparency of how the funds are used and it puts a nice full stop at the end of the ride for them 
to uh, to see what they've been fundraising for. And yet it's probably such a profound experience that it's not a full stop at all and it's probably just the beginning no. of a whole new um, chapter of, of their thinking about this. You're so right. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a return rate of about 73% of our riders oh. who will come back and, um, you know, sometimes they might uh, come every second year. We've got a group of riders who have been riding with us, um, you know, uh, for probably five or six years straight. And, and you know, that's tough when they've got to do the fundraising mm. um, because, you know, it depends which ride they're riding. They're either raising five grand or ten grand on top of their tour costs. So, the, the, and, you know, when people are doing that year on year, it just means, one, that it's so important to them. Mm. They take so much out of it. And it's a great thing for us to have the return riders. Yeah, that's incredible. That's a huge return rate when you're thinking that's going to be like the the effort throughout the year to raise funds, and it's you know probably at least half the annual leave every year and those kind of considerations. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I really love what you said about the um, the fundraising aspect makes them engage with the trip well before because as part of the thoughtful travel kind of ethos that we always talk about on the podcast, I'm always banging on about how thinking about your travels before you go, significantly yeah. before you go, is a really important part of it. Um, and so that's a, it's a really nice kind of uh, added bonus of, uh, of the structure of your trips, I think. Yeah, it is. And we've seen where we've had riders turn up before who have been had their fundraising sponsored uh, by their organisation and their tour costs even covered by their organisation. And, and it's a very different experience for them because when you ride into the home on the last day, you've ridden either five or 800 kilometres and you ride in with this sense of pride knowing what you've done. Mm. And, uh, and I've had riders who have done that um, and, you know, they'll walk up at the end of the first or second ride and say, now I understand what this is about because they visited, because they've had that full experience. And, you know, that thoughtfulness, it's, it's hard to bring if you haven't been thinking about it yeah. um, prior. <laughs> As I said, I really love this component of Peter's trips where you are really paying attention to this, uh, the, the trip and what you're doing and the good it can do for a long period, not just, you know, turning up somewhere for a week or two. Anyway, I hope that these stories have given you some uh, some more ideas and inspiration about the ways that travel can do good and how we can give back when we travel. There are so many ways. It is sometimes hard to find them, I think, or it's definitely hard to find ones that we're sure are, are good. Uh, and, uh, yeah, sometimes takes a bit more research or asking a few more questions. So, um, yeah, I hope to hear some more ideas uh, and some perhaps good experiences. Do tell us what you've uh, what you've done to give back when you travel, uh, perhaps in the Facebook group or the LinkedIn group for Thoughtful Travellers. I'll leave links in the show notes, but otherwise just Google Thoughtful Travellers um, within or look it up within Facebook or LinkedIn and you will find us there. Thank you so much to my guests for this episode. It was a real pleasure to discuss this topic. So some links and places to find out more. Uh, first of all, I chatted with Roger Smith from Echidna Walkabout and you can find all his info at echidnawalkabout.com.au. Uh, then I chatted with Ma and Meg from the Solo Female Travellers Club, uh, which is at solofemaletravellers.club, and they have a massive Facebook group connected to that. And Glory's Tanzanian Women Guides Foundation site is at tanzanianwomenguidesfoundation.org. 
And finally, Peter Baines's Hands Across the Water organisation is at handsacrossthewater.org.au. I'll also leave links to those articles I mentioned by Joanna Haugen and Carolyn Beasley and all of this stuff in the show notes at notaballerina.com slash 312. As always, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of the Thoughtful Travel Podcast. Show notes and other information are at notaballerina.com slash podcast. Join me again soon for another chat about why we travel. Bye for now. Bye.